the grace of giving to the poor. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, said John Eliot. John Eliot was a British Puritan missionary who was born in 1604 and he lived well 87 years. He came as missionary to the American Indians, who for some were called the apostle to the Indians. And he gave his life to those people. He was the founder of Roxbury Latin School in Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1645. He made a translation of the Bible in the Algonquian language. And that was the first printed Bible in North America. Can you imagine that? He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that true? The COVID-19 has shown us many things like that. There are not much importance of things when you have no place to go, no one to cherish, nothing to buy, no assurance for the future due to the brevity of life and so many restrictions. John Eliot is saying to us, in other words, that if you give something that you cannot carry with you after death, you are a wise person. Because you lose it anyway can be a talent, the ability to sing, the ability to teach, the ability to pray, or the money you have in storage. Once you pass away, all oh, stays. But giving you, giving to others, you will receive. You will be rewarded by God for things you can never lose because it will be secured by God in heaven. Chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians have instructions of an offering raised a year before to help the poor Jewish believers. It is not about tithing here. That was a command in the Old Testament. But rather is a free offering from the heart as the pattern of the New Testament. We are no longer obligated to obey the giving the tithe, but we are expected to give generously with gratitude and the signal of dependence on God. In Acts 11, more specifically verse 7, we see a difficult situation something that shook the economy, which caused great hunger and famine. This fact was actually prophesied by Agabus, a prophet, in Acts 11, 27, 28. And the famine 
went over the entire Roman Empire under the reign of Claudius. And the church in Corinth wanted to help. The Corinthians readily adhered to the idea, as did Macedonian churches such as Philippi and Thessalonica, to support the Gentiles and their brothers and sisters. However, the Corinthians only spoke, but they did not contribute much, at least as full as promised and continuously, as chapters 8 and 9 tell us about it. In our series, Hitting the Mark of Healthy Church, we have selected the compassion care, caring for the impoverished. We believe as a church, the body of Christ, we are called to care for those who suffer and for those who are impoverished. As much as preaching the gospel, exalting God, grow spiritually, devote ourselves deeply to the Lord and the spirit filled and so on. As a church and as a born again Christian, we are called to help out those who are experiencing poverty of some kind here and there around the world as an expression of worship of our God, a witness of his love and for our own purpose of life and joy. Let us bear in mind that our Lord Jesus, who was God incarnated, wrapped in humanity in a very simple and modest way, actually by choice, he was very poor. He was known to be the poor of Nazareth, even though he was the owner of everything, the creator of heaven and earth. Open your Bible if you can, or listen from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 10, which give us three principles of grace, of contributing to the need. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 10. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pled with us the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you exceed in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, 
we have kindly you see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to testify the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by our completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Let me pray before we continue on to see these three principles of the grace of giving to the poor. Heavenly Father, we thank you once more for your grace and for the opportunity we have to share your word. Would you speak with us? Would you forgive our sins? Would you guide us in this message? We pray humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Three principles of grace of contributing to the need. First of all, contributing is a grace. Verses 1, 4, and 6, you tell us that. Verse 1, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian church. For they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing this service to the Lord's people. And verse 6, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Can you see that? These churches were pleading with Paul and the apostles for the privilege of giving no matter what. Unfortunately, just a few people want this gift of grace to contribute. Not all, but all we should. One commentator says that grace is the favor that God gives us, like salvation, like breathing, like life. Everything good comes from the grace of God. One commentator says that the contribution, therefore, is not a favor that we do to the need. I don't need to be sorrow or pity or overlook someone in need because it's not a favor that I do. Actually, it's the undeserved favor that God does to us when we partnership with him in this project of helping. 
It's not a favor to others. It's the undeserved favor God do on us. It is a privilege to use what God has given us to alleviate the suffering of others. However, we think more about our comfort and unfortunately, we are selfish. Paul mentions and speaks about six times in these two chapters about the grace to give and with no doubt, it's pure grace to be a cooperator. How are we at this point? The brothers and sisters at Corinth, after Paul's first letter, they were very orthodox, abundant in faith. They were very evangelistic and passionate, abounded in words. They were very studious and smart about the knowledge and the science. They were very well organized, plenty of care, but they were lack of the grace of contributing. They pleaded, but they did not fulfill it yet. They compromised, they promised, but they still pondering or they were lazy about giving what they promised. So Paul is addressing that. Remind them the arrogance and the weakness they had right away that influenced other churches. And the other churches, excited by their own example, they were giving much more. So Paul was telling, okay, you've promised, and I know you can do it, do it now. So contributing is a grace. Secondly, this grace is for rich and for poor. Don't be mistaken. Sometimes we think only rich people can give, but that's wrong idea. It's a grace for rich and for poor, the gift of giving. Verses 2, 3, and 4 tell us that in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty well up in a rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So they were poor. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. First of all, poverty or lack of lots of resources is no excuse for not giving. No one is too poor that he cannot give. All of us, we remember a case, a story that you were part of, you heard of, someone who was very poor and gave from their own poverty. All of us have seen these uh, YouTube videos that a beggar was giving so much money, maybe a hundred dollars, and right away they make a scenario, somebody comes with a, a need, asking this beggar, and the beggar gives everything. We've seen it. We know that. You don't need to be rich to give, and everyone is able to give. As the example of the Macedonian believers, 
They were being persecuted. They were poor at this time because of the persecution. But they were generous. They were generous, says verse 2, their abundance of joy in their deep poverty. And in that context, we have to remember, there were no middle class. There were no such a thing. They were the majority that were workers, laborers, slaves, poor, and some very few rich people. And in that time, and even today, with no Christians, the richer people are the stingy ones. Not the believers, but the ones who are only rich. They are the ones who give the less. They were very poor, but the Bible says that they contributed generously. According to the verse 3, they gave above their means without a doubt. Only the grace of God does this. Verse 4 says they wanted to contribute it. They prayed to contribute it. And currently we see pastors and friends and church planning, asking for people to give. At those churches, they were begging the pastors to be part of it. In addition, their joy produced by grace in the midst of the suffering. Some say that our, the, our organ in the body that is more sensitive is the wallet or the pocket. It reminds me of an old lady in my former church, Dulce, Mrs. Dulce. She always used to say to me, Pastor Marshall, there are three conversions, and I took a long time to find that out. I said, three conversions? What do you mean? She said, well, the top three are salvation. When God converts your soul, he's your savior. Second, the lordship of the Lord Jesus. Now, he's your Lord and you are servant. It takes time. It's the second conversion. Says, what is the third one? The third one is your pocket. Once you convert that, you open your heart, we start giving. And you know, she was right. There are different areas in our life that being needed to be converted or consecrated. She was a widow. She was very poor. She came from the northeastern of Brazil. But she learned how to love the Lord above all things. And every time I turned the church to give away some things, she was the first one to say, I can do this. And she gave us a lot from her own simplicity. I have my personal experience. It was in a fall of 92, and I was in a great distress for not having enough to pay my bills and to provide or bring food to my table. I was a third year Bible college student, and I was a mentor of others who came from the same church. The church would provide monthly for us to pay the accommodation, the school, and some basic food, but wasn't enough. And because Brazil has always cries ups and down, we were living a very difficult time, and we didn't have enough. My neighbor, who was a Bible student in the first year, much younger than I was, 
saw me as his leader, he came to me saying, Marcio, what can I do? I said, well, I will pray for you. I will pray for God's provisions for you and for me, and I will give you something I have, and I gave. Later on, I got a call from a, a friend, who was my best friend. For the, for, since the wedding, we could not see each other. We were in different provinces. And he says, Marshall, I'm coming by your city, and I'm staying with you a couple of days. Once we stopped talking, Eleni said, Marshall, you only have provision for one more year. And there is no rice, no bean, or toilet paper in our home. So in Brazil, if you say you have no rice, no beans, and no toilet paper, it means you have nothing left. And then, not too long after our prayer with the neighbor, he came, knocked my door, and said, Marshall, can you borrow, can I borrow your buddy, groceries buddy? I said, why is that? Well, my uncle, called me, he's passing through the city, and he felt from God to give me some money to help me out. I said, oh, that is great. And I was happy for him. When he left, I felt a little sad. I said, Lord, I am in the same situation. I prayed for the guy I gave what I had, and now he has my groceries bag. If I get some money, I can't even buy food because everything was smart and I need that buggy. Only for a Brazilian, you understand that. Something to carry. Anyway, my best friend came. We gave the best lunch we could give. And then right away he said, Marcin Eleni, I'm gonna go out and I'll come back soon. Three or four hours later, he came back. He came back and I could see him from far with two huge boxes on his head. I went down, I helped him to bring it up. And I said, what is this? And then he said to me, well, I went for four or five stores to buy you a nice gift to put as an ornament in your house, a picture, a big vase, whatever. But then the Lord put in my heart to go to their preferable grocery store and buy this and that. Let me tell you. That was the most amazing experience that we have had in our lives. Of the provision of God when you give, when you pray for others. I didn't even, I didn't even need my buggy. Because this guy bought everything I need for one month provision in his own head. God is amazing. Contributing is a grace. A grace to the rich a grace to the poor. And lastly, contributing sanctifiers. Verse 5 and 6, you tell us that. And they exceed our expectations. They gave themselves first for to the Lord, and then by the will of God to all us, us. When our heart opens, our pocket opens too. Certainly, the secret of those Macedonians, brother and sister, were that they first gave themselves all to the Lord, and everything you have go with you. Macedonians, they surprised the apostles 
So they did everything they had first. They gave their own life to the Lord. Elsewhere, once you give your life is to God. Remember Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, when he was converted, he showed evidence of being born again. He gave right away half what he had for the poor. And he promised. He was not saying he stole anybody, but he was seen as a bad guy, tax collector for Rome. So he says, and if I have in any way damaged or taken from you what you think was wrong, tell me, and I give you four times more. Zacchaeus was an example of someone who is sanctified by giving as the Macedonians. For this reason, Paul says or recommends the titles that when leading the letter or leaving the letter, the Corinthians should contribute as they promised. The example were given to the Macedonians, and now the Macedonians were giving back to the Corinthians and to all church, encouraging others to do the willingness to give themselves to the Lord, to the apostle, not only the money. What we see in the life of the Corinthians is that they were excelling or exceeding, excelling in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the diligence, in the love, but not excelling in the grace of giving. Stott says that even today we find believers full of faith, skilled in the word, culturally diligent, but in the contribution they are known. The last words of Paul were, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love and your faith by comparing it to the earnest of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty became rich. Concluding, Lopez, a MD student from RTS, says in his commentary of 2 Corinthians, the Christian contribution is a biblical, legitimate, and contemporary practice. And the Church of Macedonia were doing that. Andre Murray says that a man is judged for his money, both in the kingdom of the world and in the kingdom of heaven. The word asks, how does this man use what he has? Christ asks, how does this man use what he has? The world thinks, above all, about making money. Christ in the way of giving it. And when a man gives, the word still asks, how much does he give? Christ asks, how does it work? The word takes into account money and its quality. Christ, the man and his motive. We ask how much an individual gives. Christ asks, how much has he left? We look at the offer. Christ asked if the offering was 
a sacrifice. Pastor Oswald Smith, when he started his ministry in Toronto at People's Church, the church was in a great debt. And then he started the missionary contribution. And we know how rich this church is. And they have been supporting thousands of missionaries and planting churches around the world. When that start, when they were in great debt and they decided to help the missionary work. To contribute is a grace. A grace for the poor, a grace for the rich, a grace that satisfies us. There is a privilege of giving to the poor. The point is, Paul says, his souls sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows boldfully will also sow boldfully. Each one must do as he made up in his mind, not reluctantly, not under compassion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you may always have enough for everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. I want to illustrate this with the last story that happened 18 years ago in Brazil. Mrs. Lourdes and Mrs. Tarter were members of a Baptist missionary church in the northeastern of Brazil, in a very dry area, no water, and they suffer of famine. One Sunday night, they were at a service, and the pastor made a strong appeal to the church. The radio program that he was doing and reaching 40,000 people were about to finish because he was already two months in debt. And the producer of the radio said, if you don't pay your program, your radio message will go off. So the couple who live in the country and who were sharecroppers, they rent a land, and in this land they would work for the owner. They were considering giving something. They returned home, they pondered how they could help. She said to the husband, we need to help. The husband said, we have no money. How can we help? She said, we need to help. We need to do our best. And then she proposed, let us give our cock. A rooster is the only thing they had. The other day on Monday morning, she came to this pastor's church. She said, pastor, this is our gift to help you to pay your radio product. They left. The pastor was a little bit confused, intrigued. What can I do with a roaster? For a while he thought, maybe I should raffle it. He counseled others in Brazil, that's not a good, good idea. We don't do that, we don't gamble, we don't play with this thing. But the guy who was talking about, another pastor says, can I share your experience of someone giving what they have as a roster to help you to pay? This email went out and reached a famous and big church, a mega church in Brazil with Reverend Jeremias Pereira. Reverend Jeremias was touched by the story. A poor couple, a sharecroppers who would 
give the only thing they had. So he shared in one weekend, they raised the money to pay for the two years program of the region to preach the gospel. Let me tell you, it was 18 years ago and the program is still on until today. But the story hasn't finished. And I'm gonna tell you, to make the long story short, this story started going out in Brazil. All the pastors in Brazil have heard about the hooster who was given to pay the bills of the radio. This pastor came to Toronto in our Brazilian church in Toronto. The New Life Church, a reformed Presbyterian church. And when they heard the story of Mr. Mrs. Lourdes and Mr. Tata, they asked a funny question. They said, Pastor, how is she doing? What is her need? And then they learned later on that she had electricity, but no freezer, no refrigerator to cold her water to drink, to make some icicles or some uh, freezers to sell and make some money. Those guys in Toronto raised money for her. She bought a, a refrigerator and a stove. Let me tell you, this story has gone on and on and on. Another church in New York heard about the, the refrigerator and the, and, the, and, the, and the oven, and they said, but what about the land? Do they own the land? No. They raised money and they bought the land. Another church heard about the land, heard about the refrigerator and the oven, and says, but what about her dirty floor house? Does she have a, a good house? No, she doesn't. So they raised money and they built a very special and nice house. The story hasn't finished. Somebody heard about it. They knew the area did not like a dessert. They don't grow anything very well because they don't have much system of water. So another church decided to pay engineers and specialized people to make a system of irrigation in their land. And they did that. Lastly, the Christianity reporter, who have heard this story on and on, decided to travel from America to Paraíba, the northeastern of Brazil, to get to know Mr. Luthers, Mr. Totter, and the story of the rooster herself, and to see and to witness what God can do to a poverty who wants to bless others. She was in the magazine, and there is a photo of her in the rooster that many of us, many scholars would pay to be in this magazine. And she was there because she was willing to give what she had. You and I can do the same. Look around for the opportunity to give and to help. Our Lord will be pleased and glorified with your help and my help towards the poor. We are the ones who are most blessed when we give. We give and we receive. Our, our attitude should not be superior or pity, but humbly, because we are all in the same boat. Jesus said in Luke 6.20, Blessed are you who are poor, for your is the kingdom of God. May God bless you.
Thank you, our Father God, Son, and Holy Spirit, to give us this blessing to us. Help us to be more generous. Help us to be a healthy church who has compassion for the poor, care for the needy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.